Adam Yenser and welcome to the canceled news. What's being referred to as cancel culture. We're talking to people about cancel culture. Adam Mosher is canceled. I think George Clooney deserves to be canceled for that. Zoe Kravitz is getting canceled right now. None was canceled. Rowling was canceled. I think she should be canceled. Despite these two highly publicized cancellations. Can people uh, not get canceled? Now the real has been canceled. Russia is canceled. Everything is canceled. such a privilege to have you and thank you so much for joining us. To all joining us online, what a privilege to have you. If you're finding yourself on holiday in some exotic location, enjoy it. But let's worship Jesus this morning. And so maybe you're wondering what this whole cancel culture thing is about. You're like, haven't been reading the news for the last two years. That's fine. I understand. Why not? But, but we wanted to just understand we live in an interesting world. Anyone agree? Just an interesting world. It's an interesting world, and there's this thing that's come and it's become major in 2020, 21, where this cancel culture has broken into the world, and actually it's this idea that a mob can form around any idea. And if, if I don't like your idea, your thought, your concept, the thing you said, the way you said it, or even the dress you're wearing today, if I get enough people behind that idea, I can cancel you out. I can cancel out your influence, and I'll use my influence to make sure that you have no influence. And we've seen it, and in some cases, actually, it's been good. It's been helpful. It's brought to light things that might not have been brought to light unless that was in place. The challenges. It also has a lot of other negativity, and the challenge at this time is there's an agenda, there's a mob, and there's always been a mob that wanted to cancel out the cross. From that day that Christ hung on that cross, a mob gathered, just a mob, and Pilate was the judge. Pilate was the one to make the decision. He was there, and he's quoted as saying, I find absolutely no legitimate claim against this man. I find no reason that this man should go, and yet the mob's voice, the cancel culture of 2,000 years ago, it's not a new thing, rose up, spoke louder, and so a man named Barabbas, a murderer, a killer, gets free, and because of cancel culture, Jesus dies on a cross. But we know that's not the end of the story. We know that that's not the end of our story, and that's why we celebrate today. But no one likes being canceled. Anyone agree? No one likes the idea of opportunities being canceled. I, I hate the fact that they canceled Peppermint Crisp. Honestly, I'm going to cancel the cancellation of Pe I'm going to use my whole influence to go after Nestle. I want Peppermint Crisp back. Just saying, that's just me. That's my cancer. I'm going to use cancel culture to get my Peppermint Crisp back because it's not the same without Peppermint Crisp. But also, I understand that you think about standing there looking at a flight. You've had a big week in Joburg, and you know you want to get back to Cape Town because you don't want to spend the weekend in Joburg. You stand there, you just start seeing that line come across the board at the airport. Canceled. Canceled. You're like, ah, your flight's done. You're canceled. You're like, ah, no one likes that. In my life, there have been moments and events. It wasn't a mob. It was circumstance when I was 19 years old. My parents, who had provided support and built an incredible life for us, all of a sudden the news came, and I heard the word liquidation for the first time in my life. Didn't really know what it meant. Didn't really know what its implications would be. And at 19 years old, everything got uprooted from my family, and every plan, every dream of this family who would be together got canceled. 
Parents had to move just to survive. And all of a sudden, I'm the only one of my family left in KZN as sisters moved to go for opportunities to survive because dreams and everything had been canceled due to circumstance and a debt that couldn't be paid. Canceled by debt. And I've had to watch the impact of that story. So what does Resurrection Sunday mean for my father who in his 60s lost everything and at the age of 83 still works a half-day job? He loves it, but maybe some dreams got canceled. Or my heart that looks back at some of those moments, or your story this year of loss and pain and brokenness. What does Resurrection Sunday mean for you? I'm not going to try and impress you today. I want to show you something of Jesus. His voice and his blood speaks louder than any mob. His blood is so perfect and can pay off any debt who speaks louder than this cancel culture that wants to cancel people's stories. And maybe today you feel like your story has been canceled. Maybe the last two years it canceled your story. There are people in our community who have lost family in the last years, unexpectedly, in this virus. I'm on the phone, as I'm from Durban, I've spent most of my life in Durban, to friends of mine whose homes have been destroyed, who've lost family members in floods. It's like dreams are canceled. I want to speak to you today. I want to show you something of Jesus, the one who speaks a better word every time. But as we do that, I want us to do something a little different. We're going to read the Bible together, and I realize not everyone's got their Bible, so I'm going to put it on the screen. But can I ask you to stand as we read the Word of God this morning? Because sometimes we come to the Word of God like it's just another one of those books on the shelf. But this is the Bible. Revealing to us life, truth. And with everything inside of me, I want to tell you, I believe every word. I hold on to every word. And at times, I don't like every word. But I know every word brings life. And will bring life to us today. I'm reading from John chapter 20. It's the account in John of Jesus' resurrection. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was lying behind him, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes But Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you've carried him away, 
Tell me where you've put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I'm returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I've seen the Lord. And she told them that, she had said these things, that he had said these things to her. Jesus, as we gather this morning in this room around the world, we are reminded of your great love, your incredible sacrifice. We don't dwell on the cross, Lord, but we are reminded of every nail that was beaten into your body. Every whip that came down upon you. And so we gather this morning, God, to declare there is none like our King. We gather this morning, Lord, and I pray in this room, Spirit of God, would you reveal Jesus to every heart and every mind, every soul. Would you heal in this place this morning? Would you bring freedom and life and joy where there has been brokenness and despair? Would you speak the better word that Jesus speaks, that his blood shouts over his people this morning? Would you get all the glory, mighty King? Amen. Won't you take your seats? I want to speak from this narrative from the book of John simply this morning. Sometimes we can get tempted to be clever on days like this and teach big concepts, and the church goes, wow, that's amazing. Um, we've upskilled ourselves. I don't want to upskill this morning. I want to allow you to be moved by Jesus. And this narrative starts out and it says it was dark. We see this lady, um, Mary Magdalene, and the other gospel edition, uh, not editions, the other gospel accounts shared to us that there were other ladies with her and they gathered at the tomb at dark. Maybe you think it's because they're trying to hide away. Maybe they saw the stigma of Jesus, this rebel, trying to gather up a crowd. No, well, her history would suggest otherwise. See, she had been faithful to the king. The first moment she encountered, she began to follow him. She was a single lady walking her life, and she became a disciple of Jesus, and out of her own resources would support, would feed, would love. And when Jesus died, when all his male disciples ran for the hills, she was there. And she stayed there. She proved her devotion in his life. She proved her devotion in his death. She would prove her devotion again. By while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene, this woman who was mentioned more time than the, a number of the disciples, more than any other woman other than Jesus' own family, she was there. She gathers because of devotion. So the story plays out, and she runs and calls Peter and the other disciple, and it plays like this. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Note that this book is written by the apostle John. John is the other disciple. He's just so humble, he calls himself the other disciple, but he's also competitive, so he just lets you know he outran Peter. I love the Bible. I think that's awesome. I'm like, I'm so humble. I won't even use my own name, but I beat Peter. 
<laughs> I think that's awesome. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed they did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. Let's just understand this. They come. They've known the story. Jesus had prophesied. They have the Old Testament Scriptures. It says they see that he's not there. They believe. But they go home. They just go home. They go home. Jesus is alive. He is risen. He is out of the tomb. The, the, the way, and even if you go into the details of the way the linen is presented, it's presented in a way that was not unwrapped by the hands of man. Would have had the formation of Jesus, the ones wrapped on his head, it would have had the formation of Jesus' life. It would have been laid out neatly lying there, not done by the hands of man. And yet they see this. He looks inside, sees what's going on, and they go home. We do that. I do that. Sometimes Jesus reveals himself as the glorious risen king. I'm reminded of his wonder. I'm reminded that he's called me to a big story. I'm reminded of the fact that his grace has touched my life and I go home. That was cool. These guys had seen the miracles. These guys were there at the transfiguration. They had seen Jesus and the glory upon him. They were there when Jairus' daughter was raised from the dead. They were there. They were also the guys who in Gethsemane, when Jesus said, will you stay, will you pray with me? Will you stay, wake up, pray with me? See, they default to apathy. And I want to tell you, your heart and my heart, like their hearts, defaults to apathy. And we just want to go home sometimes. Maybe even today it's like, ah, church again. Ah, what's another new Easter? He's gonna, we know the story, Mark. I know you know the story. But my heart needs to be reminded because my heart defaults to going home, but not, not Mary's heart. Mary stays. She stays at the empty tomb because she's devoted. Her heart is a heart of devotion. This lady is outstanding. See, the challenge of Easter is too many believe, maybe come to church, maybe gather, maybe grow, but sometimes we're just coming to make sure the tomb's still empty rather than saying, Jesus, what's the journey that you've got for me? Rather than being those who linger to see our King. Easter's got to challenge that in the hearts of the believer. It's got to challenge that in my heart today. It says this, then the disciples went back to the homes, but Mary stood outside. She stays. I want to speak today a few simple points about this amazing lady just called outside the empty tomb. Outside the empty tomb. It goes this in verse 10, then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one on the head and one on the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it that you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener. She said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where have you put him and I will get him. Point number one, simply this. The resurrected king sees you. Jesus has just, days before, been beaten, bruised, broken, rejected. He's been betrayed. He comes back, and his first words are not, where is that guy, Judas? Bring him to me now. 
Where's that filthy Peter? I told him he'd be the rock. Look at him cowering under a rock. Where are those Roman guys that tempted and taunted me while I hung on that cross? Bring them to me now. Those would be my first words. I don't know about you. Like, where are those disciple guys that I walked with for three years and invested my life in? I left heaven to walk earth with them, and they ran at first account. Those would be my first words. But Jesus' first words at Easter and his words to you today, his first words in the account of John, his first words, Woman, why are you crying? Why are you crying? And I want to tell you, he's asking you that today. I'm so moved by that question. By the revelation of that question. He could have made any statement in the world and anyone would have heard it. And he knew that we would have the account to remember it time after time and again. He could have said, I am the king and I am back and you will submit. I am the king and I'm in control. I'm seated on my throne. And yet he speaks to a lady named Mary Magdalene and says, woman, why are you crying? See, Easter, God sees. You're feeling canceled by life? Single mom, why are you crying? Rejected, why are you crying? Disappointed, dropped by family, friends, people you had expectation and legitimate expectation of. Why are you crying? Not my question to you today. Cancelled. By life and loss, why are you crying? The risen one sees. The tomb is empty. He speaks to this lady and he asks the question. It's an amazing thing and, and she thinks he's the gardener. <laughs> so she thinks he's the gardener. So she says, Sir, but, but if you've taken his body somewhere, will you see the challenges? Unless we allow the why are you crying? to come with the healing that is promised in the cross, we're going to miss Jesus. Our pain, our brokenness, our lenses, our perception, we'll miss Jesus. We can be close to the place where the glory happened. We can be close to where the resurrection happened. We can be right there in the action. We can be in the middle of everything God is doing. He can be raising the dead in the room that we stand in. We can still miss Jesus and think he was the gardener. And we'll miss the question that can change our lives forever. Woman, why are you crying? I stand with people. I have the privilege of meeting with people and hearing of pains 50 years ago. And for 50 years, they've gone to church. And 50 years, the gospel has been heard. And for 50 years, that pain still has destroyed and canceled possibilities, promise. Ability to receive love. Today, God wants to heal. Today, Jesus is asking, why are you crying? Can we close our eyes just for a second? Again, I'm not trying to impress you today. But I want to ask you, sir, why are you crying? 
What's the pain so deep down inside that no pill, no prescription, no promise of this earth can get to? Lady, man, why are you crying? Who has attempted to cancel out the promises? Will you hear the voice of a father today saying, I've never taken my eyes off you. I see this life there will be pain. But in this life, there's also the comfort of the king. Why are you crying? I want to tell you that the resurrected king knows your name. I know. Not super profound points, eh? It says this, Jesus said to him, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni. He preaches a one-word sermon that rocks her world. He preaches a one-word sermon that changes her possibilities, writes out the cancellation story over her life. He preaches a one-word sermon by saying her name. He just says, Mary, and she goes, yes. He just says a name. See, here's the thing that you've got to know about Mary. He could have called her a number of things. He could have said demoniac. Because in her past, and now, yes, people get confused in the church about the many Marys. There's Mary, the mother of Jesus. There's Mary, the mother of, of Joseph. There, there's, there's a whole bunch of Marys going around. Not mother of Joseph. I'm getting confused myself. There's, there's, there's the ladies caught in adultery. And we want to make these stories, and even one of the popes decided to write a story that the seven deadly sins were the seven demons driven out of this Mary. But we don't know that. You see, what we know is Jesus encountered this lady, and it says in Luke chapter 8, After this, Jesus traveled from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him. And also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases, Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. See, in a cancel culture world, that's a canceled. You are a demon-carrying woman. You're a demoniac. Surely Jesus should have come and said, hey, you there, remember the seven demons. What about just the term woman? You see, the first time he comes, he comes gently in the waves, and he, he presents, and she doesn't recognize, he just says woman. What about single woman? In an age and a time where women got married young, in an age and a time where the woman's role and responsibility was to get married, have children, lead a good life in family, stay quiet and live life. That was the expectations of women. And this woman is single, traveling with a bunch of dudes around the world preaching the gospel. Jesus could have come with that slur and that term that the world would have thrown her. And Jesus speaks a different word. He breaks into her story and he just says, Mary, he calls it by her name, the God of heaven, the one who has risen from the grave, the one who has overcome sin and death. See, Jesus didn't reveal himself to Mary by telling her who he was. He revealed himself to her by telling her who she was. You've got to allow the king of heaven to tell you who you are. Because if there's any other voice of this earth that is determining the boundaries of your life, I'm telling you now, 
Those boundaries are too small. I'm telling you now, lies will continue to lead and manifest in your story and will lead to death. But if you allow the words of heaven to determine the boundaries of your life and not your past demoniac, your circumstances, situation, single woman in a world that gives no credibility to a single woman. Understand this. Jesus chooses a lady to take testimony in a world that in the courts of the day, women were accused of being, uh, uh, what was it, uh, unreliable witnesses. Women were not allowed to testify in the courts of that day, and yet Jesus chooses a lady to tell his story. Why? Because his boundaries on their lives are different. And we come so often to religion and we go, oh, just another boundary in my life. I want to tell you, the king of heaven speaks to a woman with no status in that world and says, Mary. And she goes, that is the best sermon I've ever heard. A one-word sermon. You see, our worldly status might be unfollowed or followed, might be liked or unliked, might be popular or unpopular, poor or rich, woke or conservative, desired or undesired, canceled or uncanceled. I don't know what your status is in this world. I know it doesn't matter in his eyes. That's all I know. See, and maybe in the spiritual search history of her life and the legacy of masters, there's addict and broken and divorced and, and, and failed in faith and broken promises to God and mastered by men. You know, Jesus overrides all of that, and he just uses a one-word sermon. He just says, Mary. Point number three, the resurrected king has a purpose for you. It says in verse 17, Jesus said, do not hold on to me. See, she's reaching on. She wants to verify. And for us, there's this verification that he's not a mirage. This is the king. She's reaching out to hold on. He says, don't hold on to me. For I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I'm returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. See, she reaches out. And our temptation often when we encounter Jesus is to reach out and to stay there. We just want to reach out and hold on. If I can just stay here. It's the mentality that, that I've encountered Jesus. It's me and my Jesus. If Jesus, if we just stay here by the cave, if we just stay outside the tomb, you've risen, that's awesome. But I've got you, Jesus. Jesus doesn't let her stay there. Why? Like he won't let you stay in your smallness and on the couch and going home. He wants to pull us into a bigger story. Why? Because that's the very essence of the gospel. He gives this woman a purpose and a mandate. She is broken. She's like, all I've done for the last years is walk after this man and his disciples and serve and sow my resources and so my gifts and so my story I have no status in the world and he comes back and she wants to hold on to me he says no go and tell go and tell go and tell to a person who would not be able to tell their story in a law court Jesus says tell my story to the world you're feeling like no one trusts you feel like no one would give you their story Jesus is different. Jesus takes Mary and he gives her a commission to tell his story, share his story. This Easter, the empty tomb is not silent. He says, go inside and tell my brothers. It's the first time. When Jesus was alive, he dealt, he spoke to the disciples. He called them his disciples, his followers, his servants. It's the first time he's resurrected and he calls them, go and tell my brothers. Why? 
because he's paid the price. They are no longer just servants outside. The blood has made a way for them to become brothers of Jesus. I don't know how you read the Bible, but I look at that and I go, wow, wow. The resurrected king, Jesus shouts from the tomb, your story is not done because the victory is won. And it doesn't matter what man writes on the cross. It doesn't matter what the man writes on your story. Eternity will tell your story. Eternity will tell his story. Resurrection Sunday is the day we remember the resurrection of our king. And the word, and this world cancels quickly. But there was only one thing canceled on that day. It says this in Colossians, by canceling the record of debt. By canceling. Say canceling. My record of debt. You've got to say it with more conviction. By canceling my record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. Canceled your debt. A couple years ago, the world was rocked by a scandal as hackers broke into a website where you could sign up for an affair and search histories and behind-the-scenes activity of lives were exposed to the world and people ran for the hills. And Jesus says, I come in over your search history. I come in over your pain. I come in over your failure. I come in over your story that you think no one could get over. No, the blood made the way. Outside of the blood, there's no way. That's why that blood had to flow. That's why that blood had to incur pain in the process. That's why it wasn't a clean and clinical process. It was vulgar. So that your vulgarities, so that your pain, so that your brokenness didn't need to be exposed like he was. And yet his first words, Woman, why are you crying? Those words have shaken me as I've read them. Woman, why are you crying? Mary. Mary. Resurrected King sees you. Resurrected King sees you. Sir, and your abilities and your status and your bank balance. And... No, the resurrected King sees you. The resurrected King knows your name. Not your failures, your brokenness, your name. Knows your name. Man might forget, man might get it wrong. Cheap as even your pastor's going to get it wrong sometimes. But God will never get it wrong. He will never get it wrong. And we hide. I hide. We get good at hiding our pain. We get good at hiding our brokenness. We get good at hiding behind a lot of things. But the blood... And the victory on the cross 
and the Savior who speaks beyond the pain that he went through. He says, I see your pain, but I want to tell you I died a painful death so that your pain could be healed. Not so you can do religion. Not so you can tick a box, attend church. No, so you can live life. Mary, live life. Don't hold on to me, Mary. Live. Know that I'm with you. Live. 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 The resurrected king has a purpose for you. Go and tell. So this Easter, if I could just have the communion. The resurrection Sunday. I know, I don't know why it felt a bit heavy this morning. But I'm not going to apologize. I want to tell you. Woman, why are you crying? Sir, why the pain? Sometimes we look at people's lives. They seem to have it all together. And there's a story I'll tell in time. But last year I felt like felt like much of my life had been canceled, to be honest. And I'd get up on Sunday mornings, knowing that God's called me to preach a gospel where he speaks one word and changes everything. And I'm reminded, my Savior died. He died for you. Your story's not over. It's not over. There's pain, and there's loss, but it's not over. Can we stand together this morning? We've got the emblems. If you're new to church, Things are a little different these days. But we've got the emblems there for you. Can we take communion as we remember our King this morning? And as you take this bread representing his body that was beaten and broken, will you allow the Spirit of God to reveal to you the healing power that is available in Jesus Christ for your story. The healing power that restores, redeems. The pain that he says, I took so you didn't have to. I carried that cross so you don't have to. Will you live for me? Will you go and tell what I have done for you? Will you live? Will you stop listening to the lie of the voice that's saying, canceled, small, canceled, broken, canceled, Look where you've been and look what you've done. No. Will you listen to the voice that calls your name and says, why are you crying? This morning we remember your body, King. And we're overcome. We're overwhelmed by your grace. So we receive today. And as we receive, Lord, I believe healing will come in this place. The rejected will find acceptance of your love. 
The disillusioned will find peace in your grace. The broken will find healing in the perfection of your blood. Let's take off his body together this morning. And then we remind ourselves of your blood. Your blood that speaks a better word. A better word. Mary. Samantha. Ronald. Silas. Bongani. It would have been the the intonation of his voice. It would have been every memory of his healing and his touch. It would have been every time he spoke to her gently in a world that would have spoken to her harshly. All came rushing back in a moment. All because of this blood. So God, we don't want to be like the disciples who run home. We want to run to you. Now, we receive your healing, your wholeness, your perfection. In this moment, we give you glory and honor. We declare there is no one like our God. There is no one like our King. Majesty is yours. Let's take of his blood together. Can we just close our eyes for a second? I'm very aware That Easter is the day many come to church and maybe join us online. Just because because we know and we believe, actually. But like the disciples, God calls us to devotion. Acts 2 speaks about they devoted themselves. For Jesus to be the healer, the restorer, he's saying, will you devote yourself? More than just acknowledgement. No, it it looks like surrender. Why do we worship with our hands up? Well, because it's the most exposed position we could ever take in this life. Why do we worship on our knees sometimes? It's because you can't defend yourself on your knees. It's called trust. It's called surrender. If you are here this morning, and I'm going to ask eyes to close in this moment. If you are here this morning, you're saying, Mark, I've never, I believed but I've never surrendered. I believe, but I've never heard him call my voice. I believe, but I need the healing you are speaking of. I want to give you this moment to respond to your king and to hear his voice. Not my voice, not the passion of a preacher, not the conviction of a man, the voice of heaven speaking to you now. If you say, Mark, I want that. I want to surrender to that voice. Will you raise your hand with me now? I'd love to pray with you. I'd love to allow the grace of God to break into your story. Yeah. Yeah. Are there others? Yeah. Jesus, we worship you. We worship you. Thank you for every life represented with these hands raised now. Thank you that there's not a pain that is too much for your blood. There's not a stain on these lives that is too much for your blood. 
There is not a broken promise and a broken story that is too great for your healing now. Come, Jesus. Freedom now. Was what, what was dead is now alive. What was old and broken is now whole, full of life. Come, Spirit of God. Come, Spirit of God. Inhabit these lives now. Transform these stories in your grace now. Change the narrative upon every life and speak. Speak, Father. Speak. Speak. Never to be the same again. Every stain you walked around with for year and decade after decade is gone. It's gone. It's gone. Never the same. Never the same. Never the same. Thank you, Jesus. Can we celebrate our King this morning? Can we celebrate our King? Thank you for freedom. Thank you for life. Thank you for joy. Thank you for healing. Thank you for wholeness. Thank you that the lies are broken. We won't cry anymore. Don't cry anymore. Come to Jesus.